0: Hymns of Grace, number 23, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Him.
1: Lord, heavenly Father, how grateful we are this morning to be gathered here in this place to worship and adore you, Father. We thank you uh, for your goodness to us, and we thank you, Lord, for your grace, for your mercy. Father, we confess that we have sinned against you this morning, and and we pray, Father, that you might Forgive us by the precious blood of Jesus. We um, thank you, Lord, for this church. We thank you for our families. We thank you for all of the blessings that you have poured out upon us. We thank you, Lord, that we live here in a free nation, able to carry our Bibles and to meet together. And uh, we just... Thank you, because there are so many places on this planet where they are not able to do so. Father, we pray this morning that you would be with those who cannot be with us. Maybe they're on beds of affliction. Perhaps they're traveling. But in any case, we ask, Lord, that you would draw near to them, that you would bless them this day, and that they might be filled with your Spirit. Uh, to worship you aright, Father, we pray that you would be glorified in our singing, our giving, our fellowship, and we ask, Lord, that uh, that you would bless the uh, happenings here at, at your church this day. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.
0: Amen. Be seated. Now take the Trinity Hymn Book and turn to 493, 493, Who is on the Lord's Side? It ends with, We are on the Lord's Side, Savior, we are thine, 493.
1: Turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. And I know it says chapter 4, but we won't comment further on that. (laughs) Luke chapter 5. Here we see a number of miracles uh, of our Lord. Um the draft of fishes, uh, Jesus healing uh, the leper, a paralytic is healed, and uh, Jesus answers the scribes and the Pharisees. And so follow along if you would, and and I'm in the King James Version today. And um, beginning at verse 1, may the Lord bless the reading of his word. And it came to pass that as the people And let down your nets for a draft. And Simon answering said unto him, Master, we have toiled all the night and have taken nothing. Nevertheless, at thy word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes and their net brake. And they beckoned unto their partners, which were in the other ship, that they would come and help them. And they came and filled both the ships, so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft of the fishes which they had taken. And so was also James and John, the sons of Zebedee, which were partners with Simon. And Jesus said unto Simon, Fear not. From henceforth thou shalt catch men. And when they had brought their ships to land, they forsook all and followed him. And it came to pass, when he was in a certain city, behold, a man full of leprosy, who seeing Jesus fell on his face and besought him, saying, Lord, if thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And he put forth his hand and touched him, saying, I will be thou clean. And immediately the leprosy departed from him. And he charged him to tell no man, But go and show thyself to the priest, And offer for thy cleansing, According as Moses commanded, For a testimony unto them. But so much the more went there a fame abroad of him, And great multitudes came together to hear, And he healed them from their infirmities. And he withdrew himself into the wilderness and prayed. And it came to pass on a certain day, as it was teaching, that there were Pharisees and doctors of the law sitting by, which were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present to heal them. And behold, men brought in a bed, and man which was taken with a palsy, and they sought means to bring him in and to lay him before him. And when they could not find by what way they might bring him in because of the multitude, they went upon the housetop and let him down through the tiling with his couch into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said unto them, Man, thy sins are forgiven thee. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this which speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But when Jesus perceived their thoughts, and he answering them, saith unto them, What reason ye in your own hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Rise up and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power upon earth to forgive sins, He said unto the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go into thine house. And immediately he rose up before them, and took took up that wherein he lay, and departed to his own house, glorifying God. And they were all amazed, and they glorified God, and were filled with fear, saying, We have seen strange things today. And after these things, he went forth and saw a publican named Levi sitting at the receipt of receipt of custom, and he said unto him, "Follow me." And he left all, rose up, and followed him. And Levi made him a great feast in his own house, and there was a great company of publicans and of others that sat down with them. But their scribes and Pharisees murmured against his disciples saying, What do you eat and drink with publicans? Why do you eat and drink with publicans and sinners? And Jesus answering said unto them, They that are whole need not a physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And they said unto him, Why do the disciples of John fast often and make prayers, and likewise the disciples of the Pharisees, but thine eat and drink? And he said unto them, Can ye make the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. And he spoke also a parable unto them, No man putteth a piece of new garment upon an old. If otherwise, then both the new, making a rent, and the piece that was taken out of the new, agreeeth not with the old. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine will burst the bottles and be spilled, and the bottles shall uh, perish. But new wine must be put into new bottles, and both are preserved. No man also having drunk old wine straightway desireth new, for he saith, The old is better.
0: This morning, as we go to prayer once again, we do want to remember Pastor Bala's ministry, especially in Malaysia over the last several weeks. <clears throat> he is back home in, in New Zealand, but as most of you know, Pastor Bala has a very unique and very time consuming ministry among Tamil speaking people. And so he was able to go to Malaysia and speak at a family camp and then. Uh, give counsel and directions to many that he met with there. And so we rejoice and thank God for answers to prayer for his ministry and pray that God will continue to use him in that way. Let us seek our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, how thankful we are that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners. For we would acknowledge, O Lord, that we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We would acknowledge, O Lord, that the wages of our sin deserve death. But how we give you thanks that Jesus Christ came into the world and took the punishment that we deserved, so that now we've been reconciled to you, now we have fellowship with you, now we are numbered with the children of God, only by your grace and only through the finished work of Jesus Christ. We thank you that our Savior even now lives. And he lives to make intercession for us. And how we give you thanks to, to have that one who prays before you on our behalf. And Father, how we pray that you would bring many more into the kingdom of God that we would seek to be diligent in declaring the gospel to those around us. And that, Father, you would be pleased to bring many unto yourself. And yet, Father, we pray that we would not neglect our responsibility, for there are many who have not the knowledge of God. And the Apostle Paul says, I speak this to your shame, and therefore may we be all the more diligent to proclaim the gospel To pray that the gospel would be effective and to see your kingdom advanced even here upon earth. We thank you for the privilege that we have of interceding for those who labor in places that we would never have the opportunity to do so. Thank you for Pastor Bala. Thank you for the ministry that you've given to him among Tamil speaking people around the world. Thank you for the Bible Lamp -lamp Magazine that he edits that is again used by many people. And Father, how we pray that you'll continue to use that magazine to instruct and draw people closer to you. We thank you for his recent ministry in Malaysia and for the opportunity he had to speak at the family camp. Thank you for giving him the strength that is needed in order to preach several times during a few days. Thank you for the opportunity you had to meet with various ones and give them counsel. And even for that group of people who desire to see a church established, that you might bless their labors and continue to give Pastor Bala wisdom as he seeks to give them counsel concerning that possibility. And Father, we do rejoice with those that rejoice this morning, and we thank you for the birth of Wade and Lisa's new grandson. Father, how we pray that the grandson would be an instrument of great delight to their own hearts in in days to come. That you would be pleased to save that young lad in, in, in his youth, that he would follow you all the days of his life, be with Spencer and Alyssa and their responsibility now of bringing him up in the fear and admonition of the Lord. Thank you for your watching over both mother and child through this delivery. Father, we would pray as well this morning as we think of the sparks and pray that as Tommy Sue and Jason go to this viewing that they might have the opportunity of sharing the gospel with perhaps family members. As the word of God tells us, it's better to be in the house of mourning than feasting because this is the end of every man. And so we would ask that during this occasion in which death is in front of them, that, Father, you will use them to warn others concerning the only hope of eternal life that is found in Jesus Christ. Draw near to us, we pray, as we open your word. Help us to rightly expound it and then help us rightly to receive it, that it might all the more draw us closer to our Savior. For we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Now before we come to open the word of God, take the hymns of grace. Hymns of grace 421. 421. Am I a soldier of the cross? Stand
2: together as we sing.
0: Deuteronomy chapter 22. This morning we come back to take up again our journey through the book of Deuteronomy. This morning we come to chapter 22 and we'll be looking at verses 9 through 12. I know some of you have been eagerly anticipating this passage of Scripture and how we shall Deal with that. But before we do, I just want to remind you that again, this is Moses' final message to the children of Israel as they will soon be making their way across the Jordan and into the land of promise. They were a people whom God was pleased to bring out of a house of slavery. And here he is calling them to be unlike their forefathers. His, he is expressing to them his desire to see them pursuing a greater love and obedience to the one true God. You might recall that after some introductory words, starting in chapter 5, Moses lays out 10 words to the children of Israel. He reminds them of the ten words that they received earlier back at Mount Sinai. And then in chapter 6, Moses begins to give them greater details and the practical outworking of each one of these ten words. And, And he begins this exposition with these words. You should listen and be careful to do it. That it may be well with you and that you may multiply greatly just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in the land flowing with milk and honey. And so starting in chapter 6 and verse 4, he begins to open up in detail these ten words. You shall have no other gods before me. Chapter 6 through chapter 11. You shall not make for yourselves an idol. Chapter 12. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Chapter 13 through chapter 14 and verse 21. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Chapter 14 starting in verse 22. Through chapter 16 and verse 17. Honor your father and your mother. Chapter 16 and verse 18 through chapter 18 and verse 20. You shall not murder. Chapter 19 through chapter 22 and verse 8. And that's where our journey stopped for a few weeks. So this morning we come back to our journey through the book of Deuteronomy. And we're going to start in chapter 22 and verse 9. And here Moses is expounding the seventh commandment. And the seventh commandment is this. Thou shalt not commit adultery. And this exposition starting in chapter 22 and verse 9 will go through chapter 23. Now this morning it is my desire again simply to consider these four verses together. These are verses in which, when you read through them, sound a bit strange to our ears. And it sounds all the more strange when we say that it has to do with the seventh commandment. Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I believe that these verses, 9 through 12, Moses gives us a foundation upon which he will build as he exposits and instructs us concerning this seventh commandment. As you read through these verses together, you might say this has more to do with the family farm about ploughing and and planting and, and sowing and, and wearing a tassel. What in the world does all that have to do with personal purity and the sanctity of marriage? Let me read the verses in your hearing and and perhaps you will ask yourself that question. What does that have to do with the 7th commandment? Starting in verse 9. You shall not sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed, or the produce of the seed which you have sown, and the increase of the vineyard will become defiled. And you shall not plow with an ox or a donkey together, And you shall not wear material mixed of wool and linen together, and you shall make yourselves tassels on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourself. Adultery. Sexual purity. The sanctity of marriage. And Moses is building a foundation upon which he shall build. And as we come to consider these four laws given by Moses to the children of Israel, I have broken them down into three categories. The first category has to do with the first two laws. And it's what I'm calling reasonable laws. The second category has to do with the third law. And it's what I'm calling instructional category or instructional laws. And the final section, dealing with tassels, is what I'm calling the practical law. The practical law. And so the best way that I know how to open it up after considering these things together is by considering these three things. Uh, The reasonable laws, the instructional law, and then the practical law. So I trust you'll stay with me because I think I know the destination that I want to arrive at this morning as we consider these things together so first of all notice with me in verses 9 and 10 the what i call the reasonable laws these first two laws set down by moses would be laws that might come as a bit of a surprise at first sight as you read them don't don't plant two kinds of seeds In the field together and and don't plow with a donkey and an ox. When when you first read those laws, we might say they're unnecessary laws. They are laws that common sense would tell you you ought not to do it. First of all, there's the sowing of the seed. Don't sow your vineyard with two kinds of seed. Who would do that? This is like me saying to you, next week I want you to bring a cake for dessert. But make sure you don't mix together cooking oil and motor oil. Don't put them both into the mixture. You would say, Pastor, why, why would you tell us that? Common sense is you don't put motor oil and cooking oil together when you make a cake. Who who would do such a thing? Someone could say about this law that forbids the planting of two kinds of seed in the same field. Who would do that? It won't work. And even Moses says, if you do this. The crop that you're hoping to harvest won't happen. If you plant corn where you plant your grapes, you're not going to have a produce. In biblical times, in these days, grapes were often grown, not on a standard, but they're grown on the ground. And they have to be picked delicately. Corn, on the other hand, you you have to dig down, and and, and you have to plant the corn, and and then you wait for it to grow, and and the two just can't grow together. It's not going to happen. Don't plant beans and corn in the same field. That's why I would imagine if if you planted a garden this past spring and summer, and I came to your house, you would show me your garden, and you would say, over here, we have the corn. Next, oh, right over here, we have the beans. Over here, we have a very few broccoli plants. But, 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 they're, but they're all divided into their section. I mean, what would you think if you came to my house and I said, come out and see my garden? And you say to me, where's your corn? It's in there someplace. Where's the beans? Yeah, they're, there. they're in there. You got grapes? It's someplace in there. What did you do? I, I just came out and threw it all in the dirt, and now I'm waiting for it to grow. And I hope to get a harvest. You see, hearing this law by an experienced farmer would seem perhaps a bit ridiculous. It, it, it's obvious. You don't do these things. Therefore, there are some commentators who go to great degree to say, okay, you need to be obedient. You may not understand it. You may think it's unnecessary, but obey. And in fact, there are some commentators that say what, what God is saying is, you, you need to be different than the other people. And I'm thinking to myself, so the people that already occupied the land are planting all their seeds in one field and hoping they get a crop? And we're going to be different? We're going to plant one kind of seed in an area and another? What's, what is that all about? Now granted, if, if God made this a law, we must be obedient. But the obvious question is, who would do this? And then there's the plowing with the ox and the donkey in verse 10. You shall not plow with an ox and a donkey together. Now the Hebrew farmer again would have a bit of a confusing look on his face. Who would do that? He might even laugh. This is sort of obvious, isn't it? Do you ever ever see those labels on things that you read and you sort of look at yourself and say, "Why is it necessary to say that?" For example, I looked it up. Strange labels on various products. There's a one label that says this: "Do not hold the wrong end." Do you know what it's a label for? a chainsaw. It, 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 it's a real label on a chainsaw. Do not hold at the wrong end. And you read that and you say, was that a problem? Well, I, I would imagine somebody has held the wrong end sometime, you know, and found out why they have that label. There, there, there's another label that that says something like this, please remove baby before folding up the stroller. It's a label. I mean, I I, I try to imagine some mother who gets a new stroller and she reads that label and says, boy, I'm glad that said that, because I had plans on folding baby in the stroller and throwing them in the trunk. who, Who would do that? Oh, this one I like. (laughs) Do not use matches or open flame when checking the fuel level. That was the label on a jet ski. Can you see somebody? How much gas we got? I don't know. (laughs) Can't do that. Moses comes along and says, listen... Don't plow with an ox and a donkey together. The animals that you use to plow should be of the same kind of strength, lest the stronger one wears out the weaker one or the weaker one becomes a burden to the stronger one. Nowhere that I know of do we even have the consideration of yoking two different animals together. The Hebrew farmer, again, would, would sit there and hear this, don't yoke your ox and your donkey together. And the Hebrew farmers, like we are, with regard to grabbing the wrong end of a chainsaw, they're like, who would do that? Who would do that? It's hard to imagine that these laws even describe an actual problem. So if this is not an actual problem, what's the point of these laws? What's he trying to get across? So the first two laws are what I just call reasonable laws. But there's a message. What's that message? Well, when we come to the second law, or the third law, but the second point... We have what I'm calling the instructional law. The instructional law. You see, when we come to verse 11, Moses gives some clarity to the purpose behind the first two laws. So here, this third law is this. You shall not wear material mix of wool and linen together. And that word material, some translate cloth. You shall not wear cloth of wool and linen together. Now, there's a challenge to this law. Do you know what the challenge is? The the challenge comes when you consider the term cloth or material. That that perhaps is is a good translation. But if we simply read cloth, we're going to miss a key point. Unlike the first two laws, which address a problem that was never a real problem, this third law tells you to do something Which the Hebrew priests were told to do. God, by direct commandment, told the Hebrew priests to wear robes of mixed wool and linen. In Exodus twenty-six and verse thirty-one, the smock that was worn over his robe was to be made of scarlet material, that's wool, and linen. In Exodus thirty-nine in verses twenty-seven and twenty-nine, the shaft was to be made of twisted linen and blue and purple and scarlet material. Linen and wool. Mixing such material would make a more colorful and stronger fabric. So so the priests were to wear these clothes made up of two different materials, wool and linen. And so this law seems to forbid the mixture of that which was more practical... And some were commanded to wear. So unlike the first two, the first two we sort of say, well, yeah, that's just common sense. That's reasonable. This this third law, we, we, we've got a challenge. Wait a minute. The priests were commanded to wear such. So wh- what do we say? And, and, and some answer to that question is, well, because... The priests were to be set aside and, and you weren't to dress as the priest. And maybe there's some legitimacy to that. But that leads me to consider the clarity of this law. And here's the clarity. The word that is used here is a unique word. And it's only the word material or cloth. ...is a unique word, and it is only found here and in a parallel text in Leviticus 19.19. 19. And this word is believed to be an Egyptian word. Moses doesn't use the Hebrew word for cloth or material. He uses an Egyptian word. Why would he use an Egyptian word here? Why does Moses choose this word? What's the relevance of using the Egyptian word instead of the Hebrew word? Mr. Carmichael in his commentary says this. The material referred to with foreign word shanaz does not refer to any combination of wool and linen, but to a luxurious linen garment like the Egyptian linen of Proverbs 7.16 that a prostitute might wear. The wool was the cloth of the everyday laboring robes. Linen was a fabric of luxury, And when embroidered with colored wool and yarn, it produced a garment of beauty. The Egyptian word that is used refers to a garment in which a prostitute would use. This term that Moses uses has reference to an Egyptian garment specifically. And it describes a garment of an Egyptian harlot. Most examining this term, this Egyptian term, shanez, say that it's the garment of a harlot seeking to entice a man. Again, another commentator says, this term appears to be an Egyptian and refers not to mixed material as such but to a luxurious linen garment that a prostitute might wear. Hmm. Now with that understanding of the third law, it provides instruction for us Instruction of all three laws. And it's this. Just as unthinkable that it is for you to sow two kinds of seed in the same field, and just as unthinkable that it is for you to yoke an ox and a donkey together when you're plowing It is just as unthinkable for you to give yourself to what the writer of Proverbs describes as a strange woman. It is just as unthinkable for you not to guard yourself against immorality, It is just unthinkable as for you to violate your marriage covenant. Don't sow two seeds? Of course not. Don't plow with two different kinds of animals? Of course not. And don't give yourselves to the violation of the sanctity of marriage and moral purity. By setting down these two laws that we might say are just common sense laws, it is preparing you to see how ludicrous it is for you to be unequally yoked together with an unbeliever, which is now the topic that Moses is going to open up in greater detail. You see, these three laws are the springboard that will launch Moses' instruction on the seventh commandment, thou shalt not commit adultery. And how practical that is for us today, especially as we live in a time where there is such a raging battle In the area of sexuality, gender identity, marriage, pornography, the abuse of a spouse. As we live in a time where where these things are so prevalent, and it's an ongoing battle that we engage in, We recognize that that as believers, it is unthinkable that you would allow the world to set the standard with regard to these issues. And for Moses, talking to the children of Israel, he's, he's warning them. You're about ready to go in this promised land. It's a land that I'm going to give you. It is a land filled with milk and honey. But it's a land that's already occupied. And those that are occupying that land are engaged in activities which are immoral and evil. And you be careful. And guard yourself against accepting some practices or tolerating such things that stand opposed, especially in the area of sexuality and marriage, to what I say in my word. That's the foundation that I believe Moses is setting up With these four verses. And it's a theme that even the Apostle Paul takes up later in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And Paul tells the church at Corinth these very same principles. <clears throat> 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Do not be bound together with unbelievers. For what partnership have righteousness with lawlessness? and What fellowship has light with darkness? And what harmony has Christ with Beal? And what has the believer in common with the unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of a living God, just as God said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst and be separate, saith the Lord." You see, he uses the same type of of setting. What does the righteous have to do with lawlessness? What does light have to do with darkness? What does planting two seeds in the same field produce? What does uh, yoking together, an ox and a donkey? those, Those things don't happen. And so it is with you. You're the temple of God. Your body is God's temple how will you disgrace it and defile it? That's his warning. Paul says the same thing. These are not laws about farm life, but laws about the sanctity of marriage. Laws about sexual purity. Laws about being a distinct people and in an immoral land. The unconverted will act like unconverted. They will make light of marriage. They will try to distort sexual identity and gender. We ought not to be surprised. They're unconverted. But we ought to be a distinct people. Who seek to have marriages that honor God. Who seek to realize that that God said a marriage is between a man and a woman. Oh, you're so intolerant. That's, That's God's word. That God made a male and a female. And He doesn't make a mistake when He makes you that gender. And even Moses had to warn his people against such temptations. But then there is that fourth law, which I've simply labeled the practical law. And here Moses says, You shall make for yourselves tassels on the four corners of your garment with which you cover yourselves. I didn't notice, I I didn't particularly look, and I don't think I'd be mistaken, but I don't know of any of us that have tassels at the end of our garments. Did you wear your tassels this morning? Nobody has tassels on this morning? Do you not hear this? You shall make for yourselves tassels on the four corners. Now, This is a repeat of what has already been placed before the children of Israel back in Numbers chapter 15. Let's look over to Numbers chapter 15 because I believe it gives us a better explanation about what this is all about. Numbers 15. Verse 37. And the Lord also spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the sons of Israel and tell them that they shall make for themselves tassels on the corners of their garments throughout their generation, and that they they shall put on the tassels of each corner uh, a cord of blue, and it shall be a tassel for you to look at. And remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them. And follow after them after and, and, and not after your own heart or your own eyes, after which you have played the harlot, so that you will remember to do all my commandments and be holy unto your God. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and brought to to be your God. I am the Lord your God here here's the purpose of the tassels mm-hmm. they, they they were to tie these tassels to. Uh, their clothes, and, and these tassels were to serve as a reminder of all God's commandments and, and their pursuit of obeying God's commandments. So, so as you walked around, you would, you would see these tassels, and you would say, Oh, you, you know why we wear tassels? We, we wear tassels to remind ourselves we must be obedient to all God's commands. And we're not simply to go after our own hearts and our own desires. We're not simply to pursue that which our eyes see. But but the tassels would be a continual reminder that we're to be obedient to God. That we are a people wholly separated unto Him. You see, it's our our desire and our tendency to follow after our own desires and our own lusts. I do what I do because that's the way I feel. I behave the way I behave because that's the way I feel. And God says, this is not an issue of how you feel or what your desires are. This is an issue of obedience to my commands. You're to be a holy people. God says, I'm going to give you something to remind you of that reality. You're to wear tassels on your clothes. So you remember that you're a redeemed people. You're a holy people. You're His children. And so as you make decisions, you need to make decisions that follow after God's commands and God's will. You're not to just do what you want. And you're not even to do just what the world approves. But you will to be obedient to God. And the tassels were a reminder of that. In our day and age, I heard somebody say, maybe what we ought to do is like, like tattoo something on our hands. Be holy as I am holy. And then the next time you're on the computer and you're getting ready to push a button... To look at something that you know you have no business looking at. There's that reminder, be holy as I am holy. Now, I'm not saying go out and get a tattoo. Don't come to me next week and say, Pastor, I did it! Because we no longer wear tassels. In the New Covenant, God says, Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to put the law in your heart. If you're my child, my law will be in your heart. And you'll be obedient. And and, and so the issue is, whether you have tassels or not, doesn't necessarily mean you'll be obedient to God. The issue is a heart issue. You need to have a radical change of heart. You you can put a tattoo on your hand, but you can find makeup or something that can cover that up if you want to. We can all start to begin to wear tassels, but if we don't have a heart that's right with God, it's not going to be very beneficial. question is, this has been a radical change in my heart. How how does that come about? It doesn't come about by wearing castles. It comes about by running to Christ, trusting in Him. It's only in Christ that a man radically changes from what he once was. His desires changes. so perhaps you're here this morning and you say, well, you know, I I just give give in to my lust, I give in to my desires, and, and that's the way I live my life. I live my life doing what I want to do. That's an indication that your heart is not right with God. And there needs to be a change. And so while God gave tassels to them to be a reminder, in the new covenant as God's children, we have His law written on our hearts that brings to us a desire to live and please Him as we ought. And, and not that it's not an ongoing battle. And, and not that it's not an ongoing struggle. But it is a battle and it is a struggle. And, and we want to do our best by God's grace to please Him, especially in regard to these areas of sexual purity and the sanctity of marriage. Many a man has lived in bondage to pornography. Many a family has been broken up by adultery and unfaithfulness. And in our day and age, there are many young people who are confused about their identity with regard to gender. And the solution to all that is not to sit down, And have some clinical psychologist go over all the details. It is having a right relationship to God. And that was Moses' desire for the children of Israel as they enter into the promised land. Don't let the world set the standard, but love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind and with all your strength, and love one another. And included in that is this commandment, Thou shalt not commit adultery. You're a separate, distinct people. May that be seen in how you live. And now he's going to open up in greater detail what that looks like in a practical way. And what else he has to say with regard to this commandment. Well, may God lay that foundation and do us good. May it be unthinkable for us to engage in those immoral activities which would bear reproach upon the great name of our God. Let's pray. Take your word, we pray this morning, and do us good. May we have hearts that are receptive to the word of God. There may be some who sit among us who who find all this to be nonsense and silly. Father, this is your word. It directs us on how we ought to live and how we ought to behave in this world. And those who sit among us who find this to be nonsense or silly, Father, may that be an indication to them of the true condition of their hearts. Father, we pray that you would have dealings with them, showing them their sin and left to themselves the the wrath that is yet before them, the condemnation that will come one day, And may they see that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, even as we read this morning, and and may that be a means that would cause them to flee to You, who forgives sin, who reconciles us to God. And then, Father, for those of us who are Yours, by Your grace through the work of Jesus Christ, may we take these things seriously. We, We live in a world in which we're constantly bombarded with Lowering the standard. Seeking to be more tolerant with evil and immorality. but Father, help us to stand and to stand firm with regard to what God's Word has to say. And help us to guard ourselves against such immorality and such evil. So, Father, do a work that only you do by your Spirit we'll give you the glory as we ask all these things in Christ's name. Amen. In closing, take your Trinity hymn book and turn to 713. 713 in the Trinity hymn book. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. 713.